0: In the idiom of today's guest, I very much live on planet politics, but it's important to also think what the next year may offer on Russia's planet business, and there is no better guide to that, I would suggest, than Ben Aris, editor-in-chief of Business New Europe, that's BNE, in News and a long-standing foreign correspondent with a particular business angle since 1993. So he offers an invaluable perspective to those who, like me, are at best thought of as economically challenged. So I sat down virtually with Ben on the 27th of December. This will go out to patrons on the 29th of December and then go out in January for general consumption. So here's my micro interview. So Ben, let me just start by asking you this. Let's, let's be optimistic. Let's assume there isn't going to be some terrible escalation in Ukraine with all the necessary sort of um, sanctions and such like that will follow. What else? Otherwise, what do you think the next year is going to offer for Russia?
1: Well, it should be good. Um, I mean, the the biggest story is Russia's been recovering from a nasty oil shock, which it had in 2014 and deep devaluation, which knocked the economy flat on its back. And we had recession for three, four years. It was only in 2018 that it started to recover. And by 2019, the, the economy was working. And unfortunately we had this shock in 2020, a double whammy of oil price shock plus the Corona lockdown, which knocked the economy back. But when the vaccines appeared in November, 2021, um, the economy bounced back very strongly and rallied really hard. And what appears to happen is that, that shock in 2020, the first half, didn't actually seriously break anything. That The recovery we were enjoying in 2019 just restarted. And of course, there are some effects, inflation being the main one. However, the economy has gone back to growth. And the year that we've just finished, 2021, Russia put in around 4.2% growth, which is pretty good for Russia. Um, its potential at the moment is thought to be around 2%. And in the second quarter, there was a 10% growth, which is a record. So it really bounced back very strongly. And next year, we're expecting more of the same. Um, if you drill down a little, the banking sector is more profitable than it's been in any time in the last five years. It's doing extraordinarily well. I mean, just spare Bank put in 1.4 trillion rubles of profit in this year, which is more than the entire banking sector has earned for the last three years each year. And the corporates, the same story. They're all earning outsized profits. Um, They're doing very well. So at the micro level, it's looking very good. The bigger problem is, you know, at the macro level where again, it's looking pretty good except for inflation. And Nabulina came out, the governor of the central bank and said early on that actually, this is not just um, disruption to supply chains and food prices that have gone up which is the the standard explanation. But in addition to that, there's a deep structural problem. And it seems the rest of the world is coming around to the same view now, that inflation that we haven't seen, it's been extraordinarily low for the last decade, is actually much more sticky. There's talk of stagflation. So the big risks that the Russian economy is facing is sanctions and a war, which we discount and say it's very unlikely to happen, is uh, uh, yet another variant of the virus, um, which could cause a lot of problems. And that's not inconceivable at all and dealing with inflation but in the last point uh was very quick to start hiking rates and she's driven them up from historic lows of around 4.5 up to the last hike of 100 basis points in december to 8.5 but we think that it's probably at the peak now that the tightening cycle is finished there may be one more hike but next year the rates is going to start coming down and that's all going to be positive for growth
0: Okay, that's great. I mean, one of, the, one of the approaches you use that I always find quite interesting is this uh, sharp differentiation between planet business and planet politics. Mm. Of course, there is a possibility that planet politics is going to slam straight into planet business if we see war in Ukraine. Um, however, unlike, you know, and I, I, I share your view that I, I really don't think it's it's what we should be expecting, but nonetheless, just to sort of play that through. There's talk of unprecedented levels, unprecedented levels of sanctions and such like. How bad do you think it could get economically for the Russians?
1: It's, the, the sanctions thing is sort of more or less played out. There's not much else to do. And moreover, Putin's been preparing for this clash for 14 years, by my reckoning. I mean, you can take it back to... When the us withdrew from the abm treaty and putin's brought that up several times in the last month then fast forward to the munich uh, security council um, conference where in 2007 he said russia would put push back 2012 he started modernizing the military 2014 annexed ukraine uh, sorry crimea in order to make sure of the, the naval port there and now if you look at the economy what they've done is built this fiscal fortress and so hard currency reserves, and I said last year, you know, 500 billion is my comfort level. They're now at 630, an all-time high. And on top of that, they've gone out of their way to pay down the debt. So Russia has extremely low debt um, in a world where everybody has insanely high debt. And um, with the cash plus the lack of debt, there's very little leverage. What's left sanctioned? There's basically two things. is the oil and gas. Um, metals is not an option, they tried that with Pasco. and then aluminum prices spike 40% on the market the next day, and there's a boomerang effect on, on any commodities. Same with oil, is that it's uh, as commoditized a market as possible, so if you try to sanction that you can just sell it to Asia, the traders in Asia will then sell it to, to Europe, so that doesn't work either. Um, so that leaves the bonds, the OFZs, the google denominated um, treasury bonds. and. Those are important for financing the budget, and Asian markets not big enough to absorb the 40 billion odds that they sell in our And the other problem with but the problem with sanctioning those is they're so widely held. If you sanction them, then you make them unsellable. And it means you leave a lot of Western investors holding $40 billion worth of bonds they can't get rid of. So that doesn't work very well either. So there's not much it can do. I mean, there are you know they're, they're going to go after individuals they'll go after the elite circle they'll seize some more property but the really painful things that they could do will all boomerang back and really hurt western europe and america and big fan pension funds and what have you so it's kind of a standoff however the kremlin is very clear it doesn't want any more sanctions i mean it, it's fed up with them they are a pain in the neck they do drive up the cost of doing business um, so it ends up as a sound shouting match. I, I think it's largely symbolic. Um, but as I say, it's enough of a, a goad. It's enough, it causes enough pain that um, the Kremlin doesn't want to go there. It'll try and avoid sanctions if it can.
0: OK, which in a way leads me to my very last question, which is precisely about... How well you feel the Kremlin, the government as a whole, properly understands and manages the economy? You know, we're all used to Nabulina being the pinup of state bankers. But what about more more broadly?
1: Well, our view is, like you mentioned, I mean, I did this op-ed saying planet politics and planet business. And they're two different things. And planet business, uh, sorry, planet politics is horrible. Um, with all the problems, you know, vote rigging, uh, fixed elections, uh, sanctions, annexations, etc. Planet business is really looks really good. I mean, it really is an outstandingly well run economy from the perspective of business, particularly macroeconomics finance that this whole team um, that came out of Kudrin's camp and Nabul and I used to work for Kudrin. And that whole finance team, they're everywhere. They're in the finance ministry, the economics ministry, the central bank. nabulan has been called the most conservative governor in the world. And the, the macro policy is, is really excellent. Um, you know, She saw the inflation problem early. She started aggressively hiking rates and that seems to have headed off the inflation, but the same with the tax. I mean, the, the tax policy is extremely prudent And well run, and they're very cautious, and they've built up these large reserves. And if you think about it, they've ring fenced $600 billion in this kleptocracy, and nobody's been able to steal that money. It sits there in reserve as a strategic reserve. Um, You look at the banking sector reforms. I mean, Nabulina came in in 2013 and she started closing down three banks a week, and she's done that for whatever it is eight years. And we're now down to 350 banks, you know, all of the, the the so-called, you know, bank-like institutions, the money laundering shoots, they've all gone. We now have a, a basically, the German system, which is what Putin wanted in the first place. And, uh, but th- the problem with all of this is it it's too conservative. I mean, they've basically been running an austerity budget in order to accumulate these reserves. And that's, undermine the growth. It's why we have potential growth of 2%. Because if they release some of this money, if they leveraged up the economy, it should boom, but it's not going to. And in the new budget, for example, the national welfare fund, there's a cap on the spending of 7% GDP. That was just increased in the new budget to 10%. So Russia already has this insanely large reserves and they just decided to accumulate even more money which they don't need. I mean, Russia could pay down its entire external debt and the public debt and still have $100 billion left over in cash, which would be more than enough to support the currency. And so while, although the economy is very well run, um, it's still got this, this fiscal fortress mentality. And while it has that, it's not going to grow very fast. It's growing fast enough so that the people are happy. I mean, another really big change in the last year is real wages um, have started to grow again and they've been stagnating for six years. And so that's going to um, keep the people happy. Um, It's also gonna fuel some consumption which helps the growth story, but a lot more money could be made available and the, the country would boom and it's not going to. And I think the security deal is key to that because if a security deal can be done If the Kremlin then starts to ease off on its tight controls, starts to spend some of its cash that it has, which it could, then that would radically improve the the economic situation. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. I don't see a deal being done for years. I think they're going to be talking about this for a long time, but uh, at least the military tensions, particularly in Donbass, should ease now.
0: That's great. I I thought you were almost going to end on a properly optimistic note, but you you, you pulled (laughs) it back to to fashionable pessimism after all, right at the end. It's it's Russia. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I remember once a piece of advice that was given to me when when I was a very sort of junior academic, which is actually with, with Russia, the safest thing is to be the second most pessimistic person in the room. (laughs) <laughs> so there's always someone who looks more downbeat, but on the other hand, Russia will usually live down to
1: expectations. Chinamid and Chinamid and summed it up. You know, we we hope for the best, and it turns out like it always does. But having said that, I still think there's been a lot of progress, and uh, we're we're in a in a new phase now with these sanctions, with these sorry, with these security talks. It's a it's new era, but um, with the economics, it'll continue to do what Russia always does, which is muddle through and get better slowly.
0: Well, that does count as a suitable note. OK, thank you very much indeed, Ben Harris, for talking to me. Pleasure. I think it's fascinating, on the one hand, the way that Ben's analysis draws this very, very sharp distinction between a really relatively well-managed planet business and a truly dysfunctional planet politics, and yet, nonetheless, the way that despite all the various defamations and distortions created by the security mentality of the Kremlin, that nonetheless Russia is still working and still has this extraordinary potential. If only, if only its political leaders felt they could stop saving up for a rainy day, felt they could actually stop thinking in terms first and foremost of this beleaguered fortress. We'll have to see if anything comes of that. But it does, again, offer, I think, some signs of unfashionable hope that someday, somehow, someone is going to be able to unlock this extraordinary potential that lies within Russia. And that's, I think, one of the advantages that people like Ben, you know, with their perspective, have been able to provide to us. And by the way, I should just th- simply throw in a, qu- a quick note that uh, you can actually get uh, a free, uh, regular sort of news email from BNE. It's well worth it, as a sort of heads up on what they're writing. and They have an excellent network of commentators. So, BNE Intelli News is the place to look for. And with that, I will end one more of these 12 Days of Shadowy Christmas cellcasts.
1: Thank you. Товарищ правда, товарищ правда...